ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تريدن we were looking at the chapter regarding seeking knowledge fadlu talab al-ilm because as we said seeking knowledge it is a form of dhikr in of itself seeking knowledge is a form of dhikr in of itself because when you seek knowledge you are learning about your creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> you are learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are learning about the religion of al-islam you are learning about the pillars of islam the pillars of iman you're learning all about the different things in this religion what Allah has revealed to us so that increases you in your worship and your obedience increases you in iman so no doubt the seeking of knowledge is a form of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sheikh says here ma min shakkin fi anna al-ishtighala bi talab al-ilm that there is no doubt that preoccupying yourself and busying yourself in seeking knowledge and gaining it الحلال الحرام, and the knowledge of what is halal and what is haram الكريم, and studying the Quran, the noble Quran and تدبر, to ponder and to focus over the Quran وَمَعْرِفَةُ سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَصِيرَتِهِ وَأَخْبَارِهِ وَخَيْرُ الدِّكْرُ وَأَفْضَلُ And knowing about the sunnah of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم His seerah, the biography and the events that occurred during the lifetime of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and information regarding him and news of that that type of knowledge, all of those things it is the best type of dhikr and the virtuous, most virtuous type of dhikr. Majalisuhu khayrul majalis. The gatherings of knowledge are the best types of gatherings. The gatherings of knowledge are the best types of gatherings to be in. The best types of the sittings to be in. Wahiya afdalu min majalisi dhikrillahi bittasbihi wa tahmidi wa takbir. And those gatherings of knowledge, they are superior to the gatherings where the people may be doing the remembrance of Allah through the tasbih and the tahmeed and the takbir. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. لِأَنَّهَا دَائِرَةٌ بَيْنَ فَرْضَعِينَ أَوْ فَرْضَ كِفَايَةٌ This is what we mentioned last time. We explained this last time about the fact that knowledge 
it is either fard ayn or fard kifaya. So what does it mean that it is fard ayn or fard kifaya? What was that? Who can remember? Fard ayn and fard kifaya. Fard ayn an obligation upon every Muslim and the fard kifaya not quite but nearly what is fard kifaya yeah, so if a group or some of the Muslims do it then it covers the remainder and not everybody else has to do it if a group do it that covers everyone and the remainder don't have to do it an example of that was like the janazah prayer if somebody dies the janazah prayer has to be done but does every single muslim have to attend not an obligation, as long as some people, they come and they perform the janazah prayer, then it suffices. So, this knowledge that you're going to be learning, it is revolving around that. And we gave the example last time of the narration, فَضْلُ الْعَالِمْ عَلَى الْعَابِدِ كَفَضْلِ الْقَمَرِ لَيْلَةَ الْبَدَرِ عَلَى سَائِرِ الْكَوَاكِبِ That the virtue of a person of knowledge, the virtue of a person of knowledge over a simple or mere worshipper is like that of the full moon on the night when it's a full moon over the remainder of the planetary bodies the stars and the other planets etc because the moon on a full moon night then it is bright and it takes over your vision from everything else in the sky. None of the other stars or the planets or anything is going to shine or be as visual as the moon is on a full night. So that is the example of the scholar, the person of knowledge over and above the person who simply worships. Then there are some narrations There are some narrations, some statements of the scholars that tell us about the virtue and the greatness of knowledge. One example is the statement of Al-Thawri, where he says, Rahimahullah, Ma yuradu Allahu Azza wa Jal bi shayin afdalu min talabil ilm. Wama tulibal ilmu fi zamanin afdala minhu liyum. He said that there is nothing that essentially brings you to Allah or gives you an acquaintance with Allah your Lord 
brings you closer to him, an understanding of him, there is nothing more or better than the seeking of knowledge. And knowledge has not been sought in a time better than today. Meaning, one of the meanings of that, do not delay seeking knowledge. Today, there is no better day than today to seek knowledge. Today, your opportunity is here. So today, take that opportunity. There is no better day to seek knowledge than this day. Your day that you're in. Similarly, you have from Maymun ibn Mahran, إِنَّ مَثَلَ الْعَالِمِ فِي الْبَلَدِ كَمَثَلِ عَيْنِ عَظْبَةِ فِي الْبَلَدِ What does that mean? Anybody? إِنَّ مَثَلَ الْعَالِمِ فِي الْبَلَدِ Indeed, the example of a scholar in a country the example or the parable of a scholar in a country كمثلي is like the example of an عين and that means a fresh spring of water in the country a fresh spring of water that comes out from the mountainside Everybody can go fill up their bottles, fresh drinking water, it supplies and gives everybody good water. That's the example of a scholar. He is there, has the knowledge and he's giving that knowledge and spreading and teaching everyone, benefiting everybody. Just like the fresh water supply, people go fill up their bottles and everybody benefits from it. So Maimoun ibn Mahran said the example of a scholar in a country is like that country or that land having some fresh supply, fresh spring of water. Everybody goes and benefits from it. The scholar is like that. Everybody goes to him in that country, in that land and benefits from him. Al-Hasan al-Basri said, Al-Alim خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الزَّاهِدِ فِي الدُّنْيَا الْمُشْتَهِدِ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ يَنْشُرُ حِكْمَةَ اللَّهِ فَإِنْ قُبِلَتْ حَمِيدَ اللَّهِ وَإِنْ رُدَّتْ حَمِيدَ اللَّهِ That the alim, the person of knowledge, is better than the zahid fi dunya. Al-zahid, the person who does zuhud, Meaning it doesn't take anything extravagant outside of his needs. But the alim is better than a person who lives that life of humbleness and zuhd. Alim is better than the zahid. And is better than al-mujtahid fil-ibadah. A person who strives in worship. The alim is still better than somebody who is striving to worship all the time. Why? Because the alim yanshuru hikmat Allah. The alim spreads that guidance from Allah, spreads that knowledge that has come to us from Allah, spreads that revelation from Allah, spreads that sunnah, spreads that Quran, spreads all of that from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has come to us. فَإِنْ قُبِلَتْ حَمِدَ اللَّهِ 
if it is accepted, what he is teaching the people, he praises Allah. وَإِنْ رُدَّتْ And if it is rejected, he praises Allah nevertheless. He is upon guidance teaching the people the revelation from Allah. If people accept it, he praises Allah. If they reject it, he praises Allah. He is doing what he can do. Al-Imam Shafi'i said, طَلَبُ الْعِلْمِ طَلَبُ الْعِلْمِ أَفْضَلْ مِنْ صَلَاةِ النَّافِلَةِ Famous statement where he said, Seeking knowledge is superior to the supererogatory prayers. So now if you had a choice to pray nafal prayer or to stay sitting down and seek some knowledge, Al-Imam Shafi'i says, seeking knowledge is superior to the supererogatory prayer. And many of the Salaf used to make statements of that nature, indicating how uh, using their time in the seeking of knowledge was superior to praying, because prayer and those types of worship, only you benefit from them. Whereas seeking knowledge and then teaching it, multiple people benefit from that. Then also, Al-Imam Ahmad was asked. Su'ila Al-Imam Ahmad. Ayyuma ahabbu ilayka. Somebody asked Al-Imam Ahmad, which of the two is more beloved to you that I should do? Like somebody was coming to him now and going to tell him two options. And they're asking Imam Ahmad, which of the two options do you think I should do? Which one is better? What are the two options they were asking Imam Ahmad about? They said, An usalliya bil-layli tatawu'an aw ajlisa ansukha al-ilm That I should pray the night prayer, the supererogatory night prayer, tahajjud, or I should sit down writing knowledge and seeking knowledge and reading books and things. Somebody went to Imam Ahmad and said, what's better, what shall I do? Pray the night prayer or sit down seeking knowledge? Qal al-Imam Ahmad said, إِذَا كُنْتَ تَنْصَخْ مَا تَعْلَمْ مِنْ أَمْرِ دِينِكْ فَهُوَ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ He said, if you're going to sit down and write things that are about the religion, meaning you're going to be seeking knowledge, then that is more beloved to me. Because the man had said, is it better I pray at night, the night prayer, tahajjud, or sit down writing knowledge? Imam Ahmed said, if you're going to be writing knowledge, sitting down writing knowledge about the religion, not other academic knowledge and things, you're going to be sitting down writing, seeking knowledge of the religion, then that is more beloved to me. And Al-Imam Ahmed also said, Al-ilmu la ya'adiluhu shay. That nothing equates to knowledge. Nothing is comparable or equal to knowledge. So this all gives you an indication of how they valued the status of knowledge. How they valued the status of knowledge. 
وإذا كان أهل العلم بهذه المنزلة الرفيعة والدرجة العالية فإن الواجب على من سوا من سواهم أن يحفظ لهم قدرهم ويعرف لهم مكانتهم وينزلهم منازلهم فقد روي عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال ليس منا من لم يرحم صغيرنا ويوقر كبيرنا ويعرف لعالمنا حقه So if the scholars who have that great status they recognize or they are of this level and this virtue the people of knowledge then it is obligatory upon the rest of us to understand and to recognize their status and their level the scholars the people of knowledge who strive with their knowledge and they learn and they have that stature and status upon us is to recognize that and to uh, understand their status and it is mentioned from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that not from amongst us is the one who does not have mercy upon the young one from amongst us you are not from us if you do not have mercy to the youngsters and you do not have respect for the elders man lam yarham saghirana doesn't have mercy upon the youngsters upon our small ones wa yuqqiru kabirana and does not have respect for our elders wa ya'rifu li'alimina haqqahu and he does not know the uh, status and the right of the scholars meaning the one who does not have mercy upon the youngsters does not have respect for the elders and does not recognize the status of our scholars and give them their right then he is not from us so it is upon us upon us to be merciful to the youngsters and to have respect to the elders and to give the rights to the scholars the rights that they have and they deserve هذا وان من عدم معرفه قدر اهل العلم وحفظ مكانتهم الادعاء بان علماء الامه وفقهاء المله واهل الحل والعقد فيها لا يفقهون غير علم الحيض والنفاس the sheikh says there are people out there basically who do not respect the scholars and do not recognize the status of the scholars and they'll turn around and say to you these scholars they don't know anything other than knowledge of the women's menstrual blood and that fiqh and that ruling they say these scholars that's all they teach about tahara about the women's menstrual cycle and these things that's all they talk about that's all they know people out there they belittle they belittle the scholars and the status of the scholars mimma yatarattabu ala dhalika alhattu min sha'nihim therefore what occurs as a consequence what is compounded upon this 
methodology of theirs and this ill speech and disrespect to the scholars is al-hattu min sha'nihim that it is a belittlement of their status a belittlement of their status wa taqlil min qadrihim and a belittlement of their their their, their rank and their level wa sarfu an-nas al-ifada minhum and it turns the people away from benefiting from them so these people who say these scholars they don't know anything they just talk about purification and women's menstrual blood and postnatal blood and these things it is a very evil speech and a dangerous speech that reduces from the level of the scholars and turns the people away from benefiting from them نشأت قديما عند أرباب البدع وأهل الأهواء ولكل قوم وارث. This type of ideology it began in times of old from those propagators of innovation and people of desires and ولكل قوم وارث. Every people have their inheritors. So in those olden days they began with this corruption and as we know every person has his inheritor, every people have their inheritors. So the inheritors of these people of desires inherited from them and they continued upon this evil speech against the scholars. وَفِي الْغَالِبْ أَنَّ أَهْلَ هَذِي الْمَقَالَ لَا يَسْلَمْ الْوَاحِدْ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ أَحَدْ that the people who belittle the scholars are normally two types. One type, the Sheikh says, Imma Tawajjuh Sufi. People who are upon a Sufi type of methodology. They make this type of statement because those individuals upon the Sufi kind of way, their precedence and their priority in everything is simply the dhikr of Allah as they claim, love for Allah as they claim, the spiritual side to things. That is their focus. Therefore, they want to reduce and take away any focus from the ulama and the scholars. For them, they are upon the station of just ibadah, 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 as they claim. And they are upon innovation in their ibadah anyway. But for them, it's all about the ibadah and the love for Allah, nothing to do with knowledge and scholars. And even the scholars that they take from, as we know from the Sufi sects, you behave with your sheikh as though you are a dead body. The sheikh moves you about and does whatever he wants with you. Picks up your arm, drops your arm, moves your head, whatever. When you are a dead body, somebody picks up your arm, they can do it. They move your head, they can do it. They say behave with your sheikh like you are a dead body. Meaning, you do everything your sheikh tells you to do. If he tells you to get up and jump, then you have to get up and jump. And you have to say, 
How high? If I tell you to jump, then you say, how high? Meaning, you don't say to your sheikh, why shall I jump? And why do I need to jump? You just say straight away, okay, I'll jump. How high shall I jump? You listen to him, everything. That's the way they are, blind following. So that is one of the types of groups who belittle from the status of the scholars in reality. Their own scholars, <coughs> blind following them as though they are just revelation. But when it really comes to this issue of seeking knowledge and sitting with the scholars and learning and studying, that is out with them. With their scholars, it's not about seeking knowledge and learning. It's about taking the orders and instructions. This is what you do, that's what you do. We are the alim, we are the ulama, and you just follow blindly. No seeking knowledge, no nothing. So they are one group of people who belittle from the status of the scholars and seeking knowledge. Uh, they belittle this. The other type of people, This type of people, the, you could say the people who have different ideologies, the intellectuals, those types of people, it's not about seeking knowledge, it's not about the scholars returning to the scholars, it's all about philosophy, it's all about their intellects, it's all about their ideologies. So these types of people, again, they are the second broad group of people who belittle from the status of the scholars, the philosophers and these intellectuals who think it's okay, we can read, we can research logic, rationale, forget about seeking knowledge and scholars and all these uh, people of knowledge, you don't have to return to them. These people of philosophy, they are another type who belittle from the status of the scholars. You could add to that a third category generally, just for the importance of it, the khawarij. They also belittle greatly from the status of the scholars. And it is one of the key policies and key objectives of the khawarij and their likes to separate people from the scholars. That is something which is known and established and mentioned by the people of knowledge. That the methodology of the khawarij, these extremists, one of the things that they try to do especially is to distance people from the scholars. Why? Because they know as long as people are connected to the scholars, they will be connected to the truth and they will be refuting the takfiri ways. So one of their primary objectives is to take people away from the scholars so that they can make people sheep into following their methodologies and their extremism. So uh, the scholars, they used to say, that is something prevalent amongst the takfiri and khariji groups, the extremists, that they try to take you away from the people of knowledge from the beginning, separate you from the people of knowledge, so they can try and brainwash you with their ideas. That up to there now, what have we done? We've spoken about the introduction into dhikr, the virtues of dhikr. Then we spoke about in particular a form of dhikr, the highest form of dhikr, which is the Quran. Then we spoke about the various aspects within the Quran, different ayat, different surahs from the highest of the ayat is Ayatul Kursi, from the highest of the chapters of the Quran you have like Al-Fatiha, and you have 
Al-Ikhlas, all those different things from the remembrance of Allah, the dhikr of Allah, the Qur'an and the virtues of the Qur'an. Then we moved on to another type of dhikr of Allah and that was seeking knowledge. Seeking knowledge was the other type of the remembrance of Allah. When you're learning hadith, you're learning Qur'an, you're learning about the religion, the halal and the haram, all of that is remembrance of Allah. All of this knowledge, it is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So therefore, <coughs> that is a means of the remembrance of Allah also. Now, there are uh, some different chapters coming up with some more specifics. Those two types of remembrances were very general. The Quran generally with a few examples and seeking knowledge generally. Gatherings of knowledge, learning Quran, hadith generally is all dhikr of Allah. What specifics now? What types of things specifically from the Quran, from seeking knowledge generally are from the forms of the dhikr of Allah which will help you in your remembrance of Allah, help you in your understanding of Allah. That is what we want to start looking at now. So, we're going to begin, we're going to begin with the chapter that speaks about one of these specifics, and that is the names and attributes of Allah. The remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes of Allah. وَالثَّنَاءِ عَلَيْهِ بِمَا هُوَ أَهْلُهُ بِمَا أَثْنَى بِهِ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ وَبِمَا أَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ بِهِ عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ مُحَمَّدٌ صلى الله عليه وسلم مِنْ نُعُوتِ الْجَلَالِ وَصِفَاتِ الْكَمَالِ وَأَنْوَاعِ الْمَحَامِدِ وَنَحْوِ ذَلِكِ So from the greatest and the most noble forms of dhikr, the most virtuous forms of dhikr, is remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his names and attributes. Through his perfect, <coughs> perfect names and attributes. And through the praise upon him. Those names and attributes, there is praise of Allah upon him through them. And those names and attributes, Allah has praised himself. And the Messenger has praised Allah in what he has taught us in the Sunnah from the perfect and complete names and attributes of Allah. We know that Allah has different names. And we know that Allah has different attributes. Different um, descriptions or different types of things that Allah has told us about himself. Different attributes of Allah. So for example, we've spoken about before Allah comes down, descends in the last third of the night to the lowest heaven. That is an attribute of Allah. That Allah created Adam with his own hands. That is an attribute of Allah. 
All of these different things are attributes of Allah, things that Allah has told us about Himself. So, remembering Allah through those names and attributes is one of the highest forms of dhikr. Dhikr generally is two types. Dhikr asma'ir rabbil husna wa sifati al azima wa thana'i alayhi biha. Remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes basically. Remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes, through uh, what Allah has described Himself with, through those uh, attributes of perfection and completion. And this in of itself has various aspects in it. But generally speaking, that is the first type. Remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes of Allah. The second type is the remembrance of Allah through the legislation. What Allah has commanded us with, what Allah has prohibited us from. The rulings, the religion, the legislation, all of that, what you're doing, you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every time you fulfill a commandment, you are doing it for Allah. Every time you stay away from a prohibition, you are doing it for Allah. Through all of that practice of the religion, it is a remembrance of Allah. Therefore, somebody practicing the religion is upon a greater remembrance of Allah than somebody who is negligent and ignorant of the religion, not practicing anything. So, the remembrance of Allah can be in these ways. This is a very open method. Practicing the religion is a means of the remembrance of Allah. Because somebody practicing the religion, you are therefore praying, you are therefore uh, seeking knowledge, you are therefore reciting the Quran. Practicing the religion means you are doing the types of things that are going to keep you close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and upon the remembrance of Allah. But imagine somebody not practicing the religion, not practicing the religion, far from the religion, ignorant of it, negligent of it, then that type of person is going to be negligent of the remembrance of Allah. He's not praying, he's not reading Quran, he's not seeking knowledge, he's not doing anything. He's going to be far from the remembrance of Allah. So one of the general overall means of remembrance is the fact that you are practicing the religion day in day out. You are fulfilling the commandments and you are staying away from the haram. This is all remembrance of Allah if you remember why you are doing that. You remember why you are doing your ibadah. You remember why you are doing your obedience. You remember why you are staying away from the haram. You remember why you are practicing this in this particular way. What the fiqh of this particular ibadah is. You remember that and how it is. And you know that's because of the revelation like that. Every practice of the religion, all of that, if a person concentrates and focuses on his worship, is in khushu' in his worship, then that is remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will be remembering Allah in every worship that you do, because all of that is guidance from Allah, how you've learnt it from that revelation, and you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the key point to note here is, that the names and attributes of Allah is one of the key forms of the remembrance of Allah. There is a narration, a famous narration, 
that talks about this particular issue of the names and attributes of Allah and the remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes of Allah. Anybody? About a group of people in the cave, what was that story? The story of the cave. You remember the story about the three individuals who got trapped in a cave. The rock came in front of the cave and they got trapped inside the cave. So then, how were they going to get out? The rock was too big, they couldn't move it out, they were trapped. So they made dua to Allah. But how did they make dua to Allah? They mentioned their deeds. They mentioned their deeds of goodness that they had done. Those deeds of goodness they had done, they had done them at the time upon sincerity, remembering Allah and in some of them it mentions specifically their remembrance of Allah when they did them like the one who stays away from the the, uh, the fornication it mentions there that she reminds him fear Allah ittaqillah and so he remembers and he is reminded and he stops and doesn't do it so those individuals mentioned their deeds that they had done for the sake of Allah upon sincerity to Allah and as a consequence of those good deeds that they had done for the sake of Allah, remembering Allah, remembering what was halal, what was haram, what the rights were upon their parents, etc. Then they made the dua via or making the, 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 the deeds as a means of their dua, as a tawassul. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, opened up the cave section by section as each one of them made the dua and then in the end they were able to escape from that cave so that is an example of where they mentioned their deeds they had done in remembrance of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fearing allah recognizing the laws of allah the halal the haram they had done that in remembrance of allah in sincerity to allah Remembrance meaning that they remembered and they knew what the laws were, what the legislations were. And in the example of the fornication, explicitly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly when she tells him fear Allah so he remembers and as a consequence does not do the action. So this is a form of the dhikr of Allah that you do your ibadah and your worship, what is halal and stay away from the haram. You are upon remembrance of Allah. Why are you doing only what's halal? Because you remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated this and you are upon remembrance of Allah and that Allah will punish you if you don't. So all worship and all actions, they are, if they are done sincerely, then they are done upon the remembrance of Allah. Where does names and attributes come into that? Because if you know the names and attributes of Allah, it helps you even more with the remembrance of Allah. Because it 
gives you an understanding of who your Lord is. So when you learn, for example, in the names and attributes of Allah, that Allah is As-Sami'ah. Allah is the all-hearing. So when you know that Allah is the all-hearing, hears everything you say, that means you're not going to say anything bad because you know if you say something bad, Allah is the all-hearing. So that dhikr now, that remembrance there, aids you upon worship, knowing that one of the names of Allah is As-Sami'ah. Al-Basir, that Allah is the all-seeing. You know that from the names and attributes of Allah. It will therefore prevent you from committing sins because you know if you commit a sin, Allah sees you. So having knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah, the scholars, they say the fruits of that, the fruits of it is that it increases your remembrance of Allah and increases your taqwa increases your iman and increases your ability to stick to the rulings and stay away from the haram because you know Allah is the all hearing you know Allah is the all seeing you know Allah is shadidul iqab the one who is the most severe in punishment so you'll know to stay away from the haram that is what knowing the names and attributes of Allah does for a person that is the fruits of knowing the names and attributes of Allah Somebody who doesn't know any of the names and attributes of Allah doesn't recognize and doesn't understand anything that Allah has told us about himself, about the rewards Allah gives, about the punishments Allah gives, doesn't know any of those types of things, then that person is upon ignorance regarding his Lord. He's not upon dhikr or remembrance of Allah. He doesn't know who his Lord is properly, who Allah is, what Allah has mentioned about his names and attributes. And so that type of person will be weak in his remembrance. Whereas a person who knows is strong upon his remembrance. And there is a proof in the Quran for it too. That the one who knows the names and attributes of Allah is greater upon their remembrance of Allah and ibadah. Innama yakhsha Allah min ibadihi al-ulama. That the ones who truly fear Allah from his servants are the people of knowledge. Why? They are the ones who know the names and attributes of Allah. They are the ones who know about the mercy and the kindness and the generosity of Allah. But they are the ones who also know about the severe punishment of Allah and the anger of Allah. So as a consequence, they are the most balanced people in their understanding and their practice of the religion. But somebody who doesn't know about the severity of the punishment of Allah will easily go and carry on committing sins. And somebody who doesn't know about the great mercy of Allah, who has committed sins, may not then repent because he doesn't recognize the great mercy of Allah. So not recognizing the names and attributes of Allah, it makes a person distant from Allah. But the one who knows about these names and attributes of Allah, that is the person who will be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is what the Shaykh is beginning with here, telling us about the dhikr of Allah, remembrance of Allah, closeness to Allah through knowing the names and attributes of Allah. He then goes on to say, Ahmiyatul ilm bi asma'illahi wa sifatih. 
what are in bullet points the importance the importance of knowing the names and attributes of Allah why do we need to know the names and attributes of Allah number one because this knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah it is the greatest type of knowledge there is that is the greatest type of knowledge there is why is that the greatest type of knowledge because it is knowledge about Allah names and attributes of Allah is knowledge about Allah there is no other knowledge superior to the knowledge about Allah so number one the importance of knowing the names and attributes it is the most important and greatest type of knowledge secondly knowing the names and attributes it increases your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your recognition of the greatness of Allah and therefore your fear from Allah too therefore your fear from Allah too you recognize the greatness of Allah and therefore you have hope in Allah but also your fear increases along with that your love for Allah all of these things will increase the more knowledge you have of who your creator is who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is thirdly you will come to recognize through the names and attributes of Allah how Allah has created all of this creation from nothing and how Allah has put you upon this earth all of this creation created from nothing and then Allah created all of these things for us when you read through and you understand the names and attributes of Allah and you see the mercy of Allah and the kindness and generosity of Allah and how Allah guided us and didn't leave us without purpose and how Allah aided us with all of this creation you recognize and start understanding that when looking into some of the names and attributes of Allah and the ayat that talk about it also number four knowing about the names and attributes of Allah is actually a pillar of Iman from the six pillars of Iman one of the pillars of Iman is Iman in Allah, the first pillar. Iman in Allah, part of that is names and attributes of Allah. So it's something you have to have knowledge about. The names and attributes of Allah. Some of the Salaf, they used to say, Man kana billahi a'raf, kana lahu akhwaf. Whoever is most or more knowledgeable of Allah will be more fearful of Allah. And that's general. The more knowledge you have about Allah, the more your love for Allah. The more knowledge you have about Allah, the more you recognize the greatness of Allah. The more knowledge you have of Allah, the more you recognize the severe punishment of Allah, so your fear of Allah increases. All of these things increase the more knowledge you have of Allah. وَلَا رَيْبَ أَنَّ مَعْرِفَةَ اللَّهِ وَمَعْرِفَةَ أَسْمَائِهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ الْوَارِدَ فِي الْكِتَابِ وَسُنَّةِ تُثْمِرُ فِي الْعَبْدِ أَنْوَاعًا كَثِيرًا مِنْ الْعِبَادَةِ وَالطَّاعَةِ Knowing the names and attributes of Allah, it will 
bring about a great amount of worship, different types of worship that you would not have done otherwise not knowing the names and attributes of Allah. Number five, the knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah is the source knowledge for everything else. The knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah is the source knowledge for everything else. What does it mean it's the source knowledge for everything else? Meaning all other types of knowledge, everything else returns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So having knowledge of the names and attributes, having knowledge of Allah, every other type of knowledge returns back to that. That's why they say Iman, the pillars of Iman, the six pillars of Iman. First one is the Iman in Allah. All the other five, they all go back to Iman in Allah. The five pillars of Islam, the first one is the Shahada. All the other four pillars go back to the Shahada. If a person doesn't accept pillar number one, the Shahada, even if he accepts the other four, he won't be Muslim. If a person doesn't accept pillar number one of Iman, Iman in Allah, even if he accepts the others, he won't be a believer. So all of the affairs, all of the knowledge returns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is where we're going to round off today. And inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll carry on from the next section regarding the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any questions? Uh-huh. Menstruating woman coming to the masjid, there is a difference of opinion about it. Two main opinions. One opinion is that it is not permissible at all, and that is the opinion of Sheikh Bin Baz, Sheikh Al Taymin, Sheikh Fawzan, etc. And there is another opinion <coughs> that states it is allowed for a woman who is on that monthly time to still come to the mosque and enter the mosque and to sit down in the mosque for lessons, etc. Obviously not prayer, but for lessons and things. Uh, and that is the opinion, for example, of a Sheikh al-Albani. And they, they have some ahadith. A Sheikh al-Albani basically says, there is no authentic narration prohibiting a woman who's on that time of the month to come into the mosque. The others, obviously, they have narrations, they have some hadith, but a Shaykh al-Albani says none of them are solidified as authentic. So based upon that then, if you can't say something is absolutely authentic, it's verified, then you cannot prohibit something. So that's why some of the scholars say we can't justify that these narrations are authentic. There's doubt. So as a consequence, we cannot make it haram for women to go into the mosque. But obviously the rule is they've got to make sure that the, uh, they have taken the necessary steps to ensure absolutely that there will be no uh, issue with regards to the blood exiting to the masjid floor, etc. They have to make sure of that absolutely. And if that is done, then there is an opinion of some of the scholars. They are allowed to go into the mosque for classes and things like that. But others, like we said, they say no because they have some narrations which as far as they are concerned are at the level where it's good enough to take as evidence and so therefore they say women who are on that time cannot enter the mosque at all 
So there's nothing more I can say. It's a difference of opinion like that. You're going to have to research a little bit into it, and then you come to a conclusion. No, that, that we is not correct. A woman should not touch the mushaf. Uh, there are narrations about it being okay if it is via a secondary means. So if the mushaf, for example, sometimes you, they have cloths on top of them. If it has that cloth on top of it, you could pick it up and just put it onto the shelf or something that's allowed. It's a, a, a something in between. But directly touching it, most of the scholars, they mention it's not correct. Shouldn't do it. Gloves, then, technically, it's not touching it directly, so perhaps, but uh, I haven't seen a fatwa directly on the gloves. But they generally say, if there's a barrier, then it's not considered touching it, so it would be acceptable generally. Yeah, those types of things are, the, the scholars don't give the same ruling as a physical mushaf. So those types of things, inshallah ta'ala, is okay. On the, on the on the electronic screens. Next homework, of course. Ali always wants the homework. So. Uh. No, it's allowed. But uh, some of the scholars say if the jama'ah is going on, the prayer is on. And you walk in, you're late obviously, you walk in. They say it is preferred not to give the salam in that instance. Some of the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah have mentioned this. Sheikh Fawzan, for example. If you walk into the mosque and everybody's praying already, it is preferred not to give the salam. Just join and, and start praying. Because giving the salam at that time, it is allowed because there are narrations of what to do. If you're given salam at that time, you can't say, Wa alaykum salam you're in the prayer. So what are you going to do? There's a narration about making a hand so it's allowed but the scholars say it's not recommended that's that's maybe that's the the best you can get that it's not recommended at the time of the jama'ah going on even when a class is going on right, like right now a sheikh al-fawzan no, in fact sheikh fawzan gave an explanation but it was the scholars of the old they used to say if a class is going on in the mosque when you walk in you shouldn't give salam just come and sit down because by giving salam then you're gonna distract everybody and disturb the teacher and everything so just come and sit down when he finishes you can give salam to everybody do what you want these are only though recommendations not haram even when you walk in the jama'ah is going on you can give salam and the hand signal is done when there's no jama'ah there's no issue at all then then all you have to look at is just ensure that you're not causing a distraction or a big distraction if you walk in for example and there's some quran class going on that's the same thing again I mean, if there's nothing going on, you walk into a mosque, there's just a few people sitting around waiting for the prayer, you can give salam. There's no prohibition. If anybody's going to say there's a prohibition to give salam like that, then it's upon them to show us the evidence. You're going to make something haram, then show us the evidence it's haram. Why is it haram? Giving salam generally is a sunnah. Whether it's in the mosque or outside the mosque, if you're going to tell us, no, in the mosque it's not a sunnah, it's haram there. Then you've got to show us the evidence for that. Otherwise, it's allowed. Yeah, of course, when you walk in, you got to pray your two raka'at before sitting down. You should, when you come into the mosque, pray your two raka'at and sit down. If there's a class going on, if there's a prayer going on, 
Well, even in the wudu area they mentioned, that's one of, there's 14 places I believe. 14 inst instances, 14 times circumstances where s some of the scholars used to say it is preferred, don't give salam, wait. If you walk into a mosque and a lesson is going on, you walk into a mosque, the jama'ah is going on. You walk into the wudu area, somebody's making wudu. They say it's preferred, don't give salam. Let him focus. Otherwise, you give salam. Did I do, was it my hands, face? Where was I? They say, don't disturb him making wudu. That's one of the places. 14 places. I forgot all of them now, but they mentioned 14 places. 12 or 14. Where it's recommended, just don't give salam, wait a bit. Let him do this or that and give afterwards. Not haram, just recommended to avoid at that time. Permissible, though. Permissible. The hand permissible. So if it's permissible in the prayer, then it's definitely permissible when the people aren't praying. So if anybody claims otherwise, they've got to give proof that it's not allowed. It is allowed. That's why the instruction has been given what to do if somebody gives you salam in the prayer. That kind of thing, yes. The Quran, in fact, is one of them. You're right. That's one of them. Somebody is reciting the Quran. It's superior that you don't disturb them and give salam. Just wait, sit down. Afterwards, you can come. No, in the Quran, uh, in the Quran, finish your ayah and then uh, reply to the salah. Then you don't do the hand. That is for the prayer. All right, we'll conclude there. Inshallah, next week, uh, same time again, six forty-five. Inshallah, Taala, next week.